Welcome to People's Church Podcast. How many of you have this kind of story in your generations? Um, It's pretty common here. Um, You have a relative from maybe two or three generations ago that left Europe or somewhere else around the globe and traversed the oceans uh, on ships, some of them just sailing ships, can you imagine? Bringing their family, everything with them, leaving everything behind maybe never able to see their families of origin again. But something driving them caused them to launch out on great adventures for the opportunity and the freedom that they saw was potential for them. What an amazing story. How many have that story in your backgrounds that you know of, right? Yeah, many of us. I have that story. You know, it goes back on my dad's side. They left Wales went all the way down to Argentina, and then from there they came up to Saskatchewan. How many here are from Saskatchewan if you go back two generations? Isn't it crazy? Everybody comes from Saskatchewan almost. I mean, it's like somewhere you come through Saskatchewan. Um, And they settled there. On my mom's side, they came direct over uh, to Canada, and uh, again by ship. These were not catch a flight kind of people and took the train across to Saskatchewan and there they were given a free quarter. Do you remember that? Do you know that story, that history? That if you launched out and came over, there was a time in Canada they were offering a free quarter but you had to begin farming it within a certain amount of time. And so that's how it kind of evolved for many of us is how we became Canadian and, and we're a part of the founding in this nation. Some of you go back even four or five generations and uh, so on. So, but when you think about the mindsets of those early pioneers and what must have been there, the costs that they were paying for opportunity, just for opportunity, and uh, because often opportunity uh, wasn't there for them in their home country. They couldn't advance themselves. They didn't see where their children would have a better life than themselves. They didn't see where there would be that kind of opportunity. Freedom was a big deal too. The idea, and even the comment just on that video at the very end, the idea that where the reign of mankind ended, you looked at the earth and this was a brand new opportunity. Something where you were free, totally free from what anybody else would tell you you have to be, what you have to stay, where, where you can live, uh, everything about you. That was, that was laid behind you. Many of them left for that reason, simply because of the freedom that they would have. Then there was the freedom of worship because many of the countries that they came from were really um, wanting to control the worship. Why is that so necessary in totalitarian states? Is because uh, the totalitarian state is based upon the supremacy of the state itself and there must be nothing above it that is worshiped. And so you have this constant conflict with totalitarian states and, and faith simply because faith makes God the supreme ruler and the one whose directions that you follow, even at the price and the cost the state might bring to you. Many people, even today, are fleeing countries for that very reason. You and I sit in one of the freest, most blessed places on earth. It's incredible. But it all originated with a dream. I'm not going to talk about the future so much. We'll see what the future brings. But I do know that if we do not have morals and values, that that freedom will erode. But what we have right now is something that's been gifted to us by God, but gifted to us through brave men and women who took on a cost, an adventure, went after the opportunity to build something better. Now, I've entitled this message, Time to Just Get On With It. You know, there's a point in life where we start to recognize and need to recognize that we're just turning or spinning wheels. We are not taking life anywhere. We're really not taking our financial 
you know, thing anywhere. We're not taking our, our uh, marriage anywhere. We're not taking friendships really anywhere. We're just not getting on with it. We're just somehow just turning wheels. And that tends to be where we can waste a lot of the seasons of life. So I want to start with a scripture from Hebrews 12, and, but let me give you a context. First, the context is Hebrews 11, and Hebrews 11 is a story of faith, and he, he lists out in there all of these great men and women of faith throughout history to the current moment. And now, in, right at the beginning of chapter 12, with that reference in mind, he says this, do you not see what this means? All these pioneers, all the ones before that came with faith, blazed the way. All these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. You know, you and I have a lot of people watching us. They're watching how we perform in our faith, how we follow the pioneering that was set, going right back to the apostles, even going right back to Genesis. Great men and women who paid the cost, and Brent referred to a few, who paid a cost for a dream that was bigger than themselves. Because they saw the opportunity that they could be a part of. Christianity is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for your family to be the best that you could have been blessed with. It's an opportunity for your finances to be that which brings about richness both in the world to come with Christ, but an enrichment in the world here, enriching people's lives. He has blessed us with these kinds of pioneers in our life, and they are watching to see what you do. Let me start with three questions. First question, what have you felt like giving up in? Right now, just do, do a little, little self-check here. What have you felt like giving up on? Where is that one place in your life where right now is like, I just want to give up here. I want to leave this. That's an intimidating question because we've all been there in different places at different times. We've been there where we want to give up. It may be relationally, it may be financially, career-wise, it may be just health-wise, it could be anything in your life where it's been out of control and you don't have all of the levers in your hands and you can't force the end that you'd like to force. What have you felt like giving up in? Right now, currently, Second question, what is it that you need to finish? You started. You started this. You started to make changes relationally. You started to make changes in your faith, in how you live, choices that you make. You started to make changes in the roles you carry, husband, father, mother, uh, and wife. You started to make some changes. In, in starting those changes, that was a good path, a good journey. But you didn't finish. You haven't finished that. And it's gone into that proverbial wheel turning in those areas again. What do you need to finish? You got started, but you really need to finish this. We all have these again. These are not exclusive questions. These are ones that we live out each and every day in different ways sometimes. Third question. What has distracted you from God's best? What has distracted you from God's best? God's best is, is basically where he says, look, it's through your surrender, your obedience, and your faith that I am going to bring the best things into your life. That doesn't mean there won't be tests. It doesn't mean there isn't going to be heartache. It doesn't mean there isn't going to be challenge. But they will all have meaning in that this is going to produce the best. It is going to bring the best for you. Those three questions are very big questions. The distraction one, I think, is a very big one for us. Are you distracted with your career? 
Are you distracted with funds? Are you distracted with sports? Are you distracted? See, distraction shows up this way. You end up with a cycle that basically God is over here and you are just turning the wheels of life. A distraction is something that takes your attention and focus away from the main deal that your heart knows is right. What has distracted you? I'm going to give you four practices needed to finish the race. And that's what we find that term used in, uh, in Hebrews 12 verse 1. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. <clears throat> Your blank is just the word distractions. Remove any distractions. That's what that verse is counseling you to do. It's saying, look, don't be somebody that starts and isn't going to finish. But if you really want to finish, if you really want to finish, you're going to have to remove distractions. Not once. But you're going to have to have an attitude towards things that continually is purging distractions from your life. That doesn't mean you don't participate in them. It means that they are not the first thing you see when you look at your day or you look at your week. The first thing you see is that God has purpose for me today. That there is a bigger thing at work here in my life. That is the lens that you want to look for. Is what is my life today in its content going to do to bring and acknowledge the lordship of Christ in my life? Not the distraction itself. When we start planning our lives and God is not first on the list, when we start planning our days, when we start looking at our days and we only take a look at it through the exercise of things that make up 24-hour shifts, we're distracted. That's a great way to take a look at your life and say, am I, am I distracted? Which lens is controlling your view of just one day? When you hit the floor tomorrow morning, I mean, don't, don't fall on it, but your feet hit the floor. When you hit the floor tomorrow morning, what lens are you going to look forward to or through at that day? Here's what I got at the office. Here's the meetings that I got. Here's uh, how my day hopefully is going to end somewhere around there. Then I've got to get home and then I'm going to take on that project. I've got to take that on. I want to get out. I want to cut the grass. I want to do this, whatever. The lens you want to look for is first this lens. <clears throat> I'm going to go through my day and I'm going to do some very valuable things, I hope. But Lord, I want to do what you want. I want to do what I'm doing the way with you as the first lens. So I don't know what content you have for me today. But I'm going to look for your hand at work. I'm going to listen for your voice. I'm going to be aware of your presence. And when I'm in my meetings, when I am in an appointments, or when I am working with my hands, I am available to hear from you, be a part of what you're doing, because what you're doing in that hour has far more importance than what I see. It's not a sale only. It's not fix this only. It is something bigger. God is always at work in the people that you are connecting with every day. A distraction is where you don't see God's work. You're not aware of his action in your life. That means you're living a distracted life. So let me read again this particular scripture. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The race marked out for us. You're running that race every day. You run it in your daily route, things that you do, things you're going to do tomorrow. You're running that race. But you're not really aware of it. That's distraction. Now here's the biggest distraction of our lives is our past. History. Sometimes that really distracts us because it can distract us one of two ways. Either with great pride because 
we can look at some building blocks and say, boy, we've had some, this achievement, that achievement, that achievement, we've done well. We've gone through the checklist and we're doing pretty well here. Or your past can be something where you look at the checklist and there's not very many good check marks on that checklist. It's more like, wow, there's just a lot of failures and weaknesses. When you're aware of those check marks, and that is what's going to lead you into today, you're going to come into this day either with pride or you're going to come into this day with shame. But when we, what he wants us to do is not let our past be a distraction from the present. You must not live by, well, I tried that, but. Well, I'm not qualified for that because I'll never beat this. Isaiah 43, 18 through 19 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. He didn't say bad things. He didn't say good things. He just said the past. All of it can be a distraction. I remember I did a wedding, oh, this is some decades ago. And in doing that wedding, <clears throat> I was working with one side of the family that um, had a very traditional, uh, not just Christian, I mean just in their culture, very traditional way. And the person marrying into the family didn't really have, share that same kind of traditional squeeze. And, and I remember, you know, how the, the filter that this, uh, the dad looked through in this was all pride-based about his culture, who he was. I am, and then he would name, you know, which ethnic he was. And everything about it, he wanted that to control everything about everything. And let's just say him and I took a lot of grace to be able to find good outcomes, which we did. When we are distracted, when we have these things that we wait into our lives and we uh, do what this is saying, we're hanging on to the past and we're defining ourselves in wrong ways, looking at the future, we're missing then how God defines you because how does God look at you when you get up and go to work tomorrow or you stay and you're gonna look after your family or whatever the, the case, however God has blessed you uh, to spend tomorrow, are you gonna be somebody that is controlled by the past? either good or bad or can you look beyond that and see a new thing look at this last part of the scripture see I am doing a new thing now it springs up do you not perceive it do you not see it I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland more or less he says I'm always at work bringing life I'm going to try and bring life in, in and through you into the world today. I want to bring life into your family and I want to use you. I want to bring life into the people you're going to meet with today or the people you're going to work with today or the customers that you will serve today. I want to bring life. Do you see my activity? Do you see it? It springs up right now. Paul the Apostle <clears throat> said, and I'll just refer to this one. He just said, I forget the past. He says, that's my practice. Good or bad, I just forget it. I just leave it behind. It doesn't come in to the new day. I just let it go. I just let it go. And so distractions. You got to remove any distractions. Secondly, remember that all faith practices in your life are rewarded Anything that you practice in faith is rewarded. And you say, well, I don't know what that means. I, I mean, like, is it some big thing? No. In fact, Jesus was very specific to say, the little practices are the things that are actually going to bring the attention and the reward of God. He talks about a good a Samaritan. We call him the good Samaritan. A Samaritan was somebody who by race was a mixed blood and was not accepted well by the Jewish culture. He comes across a man on the road that has been beaten severely. Already there has been a couple of men of high religious office pass and not take time to help this man. The Samaritan stops and he gets down and he binds up this guy's wounds. 
He's on a business trip. In his day, he's looking at, I'm meeting here, I'm meeting there, I've got this going. And he just hits the pause button because of the activity of God. Because of, he could perceive and see that God was doing something that he needed to be a part of here. And that was to come and to bring to this man the help that he needed. So he did. It cost him time. It cost him potentially risk of the robbers themselves that had beaten this man. And he took him to an inn. He paid the innkeeper to look after this man until he returned. How do you respond to activity of God when it's there? Do we just miss it? We don't even see it. That's really being deep in deep distractions. And that's really not understanding the practice of faith. The practice of faith, once you get rid of distractions, will start to kick in in your life. Jesus put it this way. He said, if you even give a cup of water in my name, I reward that. What's he meaning, water in my name? He's meaning you're aware of my activity. You're aware of blessing. You're aware of seeing what's going on around you. You look for my activity. And when you even give just a glass of water to somebody, if you're doing that in my name because you're in touch with this kind of thing, I'm telling you, I reward that. I reward that. So it's the littlest of things, or it could be big things, but more than likely it's all going to be a bunch of little things. And he rewards every one of those things. Now, you might downplay what God rewards, but I will tell you that is one of the great benefits you have of being alive as a Christian, is you are fueling your future in heaven. You are building up rewards, or you are distracted, and you are not practicing your faith, because you're not aware of God's activity. I love this next scripture. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 26 says, to win the contest, you must deny yourselves many things that you would keep, that would keep you from doing your best. Like that Samaritan did. But we do it for a heavenly reward that never disappears. Now, heavenly rewards means this. <clears throat> There's an eternal aspect to every reward you're gonna receive. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I don't miss a day, he's saying. I don't miss a day. I get it. When I wake up in the morning, I'm declaring this is a day of faith to be lived. This is my moment in time where I can live in a way in which I will bring even reward and glory will come to Christ. Are you aware of the activity of God in your world? Hebrews 6.12 says, don't drag your feet. Be like those who stay the course with committed faith and then get everything promised to them. Your faith is your opportunity for blessing. You need to take it up like he said, the pioneers. You need to blaze the trail every day. Monday needs to be blaze the trail. I'm blazing a trail every day that God gives me. I'm on a great adventure. The third is fight discouragement. Fight discouragement. Discouragement is the number one tool that the enemy is going to use against you. Discouragement is the plague of the human heart and mind. It is something that comes to us on a regular basis. More than likely, you are either just coming out of or going into real deep discouragement. There are some of you that have been shouldering that right now about some things in your life. If we went back to those three questions, you're very discouraged about. That it's not working out the way I want it. It's not happening as fast as I wish it. Or I just see the impossibilities. I'm just discouraged. Discouragement is the favorite weapon that he uses. Because it's through that that he can win the battle in the mind. Because if he can seed into your mind the negative thoughts that attack your own faith. So instead of you, this being a day of faith, it becomes a day of discouragement attacking the faith because of your thinking. The 
Discouragement has been something you're going to battle the whole life that God gives you. This is not a battle that goes away. It's a battle that you must be on guard for all of the time. I know that because I know my life. I know that in my life, this has been the same thing that I battle all, all the time. I'm, and I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to let it discourage me. I'm not going to let it take away my courage. Discouragement is taking away your courage. Courage is needed. Courage is, is a first sign of faith. And when your courage melts, there's nothing for the faith to operate with. To live in faith on a daily basis looking for God's activity takes great courage because you're going to have to deal with things that are fearful. Things like, oh, how will they receive this? Or, or I'm going to look like an oddball. Or, you know, all of the crazy thoughts that can come. Discouragement also takes you out of the fights of life. You got to fight discouragement because if you don't, it will take you out of the fights that really matter. The fight for your marriage. The fight for you just, just your child, your children, your family, your, your, fight, your fight for change, your fight for what needs to be groomed into your life, your fight. This is your fight. Nobody else can fight that fight for you. You've got to fight that fight. And in fighting that fight, you must understand the big thing that's going to be there to take you out and steal your courage is discouragement. Listen to Galatians 6, 9. Let us not get tired of doing what is right. For after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. What a great scripture that is. So true to life. We get tired. Just doing what is right. You feel like you're the last one on the planet that's, that's thinking this way or, or, or making these kinds of decisions. But he's talking about delay. He's saying, if you will just stay in the fight and keep doing what is right, after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing. What we don't like about that verse is that one, or let me just say three words, after a while. When you sow a seed... How reasonable is it for you to expect a harvest the next day? It requires a process. And everything about faith and change and building into our lives is process. God works processes. Some of them are just completely lifelong. Some are going to be there for a day. Some are going to be there for a week. But they're going to be processes. <clears throat> this is this is the way that God works. And he's saying, don't stop my work on this. By allowing discouragement, you fight discouragement. And if you're fighting it, you're winning. You say, well, I don't feel like I'm winning when I fight it. Don't go with the feeling. Go with the fact. If you're in a fight, you're in a fight. And that means that you will win it if you stay in it long enough. Because God has promised you that. He's saying after a while. You will fight it for a while. You stay in the fight. I can't define after a while. It could be a long time. I don't know. What I do know is what only thing you can do is decide to stay in the fights that matter. God's got activity going on in your life. He's got activity going on through your life. And he's got activity going on all around you. God is active. God is not sitting back and letting the world just spin. God is active. And if we are willing, if we are willing to be a part of what he is doing. Lynn and I were away uh, on a business trip. And uh, this last weekend and week. And we're actually down in Ottawa for some meetings and stuff down there. But when we're down there, we caught a cab and how many of you here are really fresh after flying? You know what I mean? You're just like, oh, yeah. Here's what's fresh. I'm never glad to get off of this thing and stuff. But, you know, you, you get you're tired. And you get, you get into a cab and, and, and you just kind of feel like, just get me to the hotel. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just like, get me to the hotel, please. And I was kind of in that kind of thing. And, and <clears throat> then we had this cab driver. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Why does, why does he not respect my tiredness? 
I did, I'm not saying anything about that, Lord. I'm just... Like, come on, I'm feeling weak, I'm feeling tired, I'm feeling like, what are you nudging me here for? This, this cab driver wouldn't shut up. So he just kept talking, and I was like, uh, okay, I'm in on it, I'm in on it. Okay, where are you from? He was from Eritrea. Uh, tell me about your, uh, your journey, where you came from and how it's working out here, and we just started to chat. By the end of that trip, he said, hey, um, when are you heading back? I'll pick you up if you give me a call. I said, great, give me your card, I'll call you. Called him, he comes. Conversation picks up, right from where we kind of left off. And we just continued to chat. I got to know this man, uh, Orthodox Christian, um, and he's got three kids. He uh, is... This is his own business that he's got here. He had just been to Eritrea last year to see his parents. And we began to make a connection. We exchanged cards. If you're watching today, hi. God's activity is happening all the time. The question is not, that is not even a question. It's always going on. The thing is, your participation in that, you know, in, in the little nudges, the big nudges, and, and instead of just being like about how you are feeling in yourself. Discouragement is something that takes away your courage and it takes you out of the fight. If I'm just going to be sitting there in a discouraged state, I'm not even caring about this guy. It'll take away your compassion. It'll take away your love. It'll take away your response. Discouragement's not a little thing. It kills your life. Philippians 1.6 says this, God who began the good work within you will keep right on helping you grow in his grace until his task within you is finally finished. See, he's working on you. And he's saying, I'm going to keep working in you. I'm going to keep doing it. So first off, if you're in a discouraged state today, I want you to know God is still working in you. He's working to bring you through to finish. What you need to do is just get back in the fight so that your faith gets enacted. Because your faith is never enacted when you're not in the ring. If you're in the ring, it's enacted. And now you're fighting faith. You're fighting with faith. And you stay in the fight. And don't let discouragement steal your courage and take you out of that. Lastly, renew grace in your life daily. Renew grace in your life daily. Why is that important? Because it right-sizes you. It just right-sizes you. If you're thinking too much of yourself, when you really think about the grace of God and the goodness of God to you that was given and is gift and paid for by Christ's blood, when you really begin to think about how God has blessed you, even with where you live and what he has brought you, when all these little multitudes of blessings start adding up and you renew grace, you recognize I didn't earn any of this. It right-sizes you. All I've had is the opportunities and enough courage from God to step into them, and he has opened my path. There's nothing worse than to have men basically buy into this idea that they are, you know, the, the can I say, the savior of their own soul, and they are the blesser of their own life. That's how to make your life really small. Grace right-sizes us. It keeps us focused on who, who has blessed us, what he has done for us. Some of you don't feel worthy of God's grace. That's the other end of the spectrum. Some ignore it. After we've experienced the greatest gift, we ignore it. We don't pull it out and reflect on it. We don't have a daily celebration of it. There should be a daily celebration of grace. I'm so thankful for the gift of this day, the gift of my family, the gift of this, the gift of that. Thank you, Lord, it's by grace. It's all by grace. And then there are those that say, I don't deserve any of it, thereby I will not really celebrate it. You're on the wrong side of the spectrum. 
We all need grace. It's not a want. It's not even, uh, you know, a wish. It is either something you've received or it's something you have not. But I want you to receive it and celebrate it. Renew it every day with celebration. Always remember the rock from which you have been cut. 2 Corinthians 4.16 in the message version says, So we are not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside where God is making life new, that's by grace. Not a day goes by without this unfolding grace. Is unfolding grace. Amazing. Let me just reread that part. On the inside where God is making new life. Outside, it's falling apart. Inside, he's just making me more alive than ever. He's just bringing more life. Not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the common good times or the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. Now, let me remind you. Let me ask you this question. What do you think is the the best known hymn and sung the most in the world? Best known hymn. You're right. I kind of gave a clue with that point. It is. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Let me break that down for you a little bit. Amazing. It's probably about the only word we could put there. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. More or less, if your ears hear it, if you really get it, It is sweet. It is sweet. And then he simply goes on and starts explaining his condition. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, a lot of people have a problem with that word wretch. Not just today, but today, yeah, big time. Like, oh, you don't ever call anybody a wretch. Oh, you're not a wretch. You're perfect. Well, if you want to believe that lie for your life, go ahead. You aren't perfect. In fact, compared to God, if, I, if we could just go take you and here's God in all his magnificence and we put you right next to him, <coughs> wretch may be a compliment. Why does that term get used in there? Because it's explaining something about God. See, why people are uncomfortable with that is because they think it's a value point. Oh, don't call yourself a wretch because you're valuable. It's not, he didn't say you aren't. In fact, by using that word, he's increasing your value. Do you know how that works? Very simple. If you're a wretch, how much did God have to love you to send Jesus? That's value. Because he knows your state, and that's what this songwriter knew. By the way, do you, you know the history of this song, right? Here's this songwriter. He actually did become a slave ship captain. He had served on them. He became a captain about 11 years, I think. <clears throat> had some perilous journeys at sea. Finally, he turns to God, receives Christ, Studies, becomes a minister in the Anglican uh, priesthood. And he writes this song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. By us getting honest about who we are, This only increases our value because it shows us how deep and strong the Father's love is for you. He doesn't love you because you're good. He loves you because you're his creation and he chooses to love you. How valuable is that? I once was lost, but now am found. 
Anybody here ever been lost? <clears throat> yeah. Okay, how many here have been lost when their husband's driving trying to find an address? <laughs> I once was lost, but now am found. When he finally listened to you and he got the right... This lost is an, is an ultimate word. It's, an, it's, a, it's one that's used in an absolute sense. It means not partly lost. It's not like I'm confused lost. It means like I'm totally lost. I mean, there is in a totally lost state. In fact, when he says, but, and, and, then I was found, when he's going to that, he's saying, I couldn't even find my way out. I had to be found. I couldn't find God. God had to find me. That's you too. It's not you finding God, it's God finding you. And he recognized that. He said, I was so lost. I, there's no way I find my way out. There's no way I find any way through this at all. I'm done. It's, it's dark, totally dark. There's no way I get out. But now I'm found. Who found him? The Lord, because he loves him. I once was blind. But now I see. This is a blindness that is, he's speaking of that is again in the absolute sense. All these words are in the absolute sense. It means I wasn't partly blind. It wasn't like I saw shadows. It was like I got nothing. I didn't, I wasn't aware of what life was about. I was blind to what the purpose of my life was. I was blind to what the purpose of Mondays are and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I was blind to the opportunities. I was blind to the things that God wanted me to have and bring into my life. I was blind. But now I see. I want you to see. God has so much to bring into your life. But you're going to have to remove distractions. You need to start doing faith practices so that you could be rewarded. You need to fight discouragement and stay in that fight to retain your courage so that faith can work. And you need to renew grace in your life daily to right-size you and understand the benefits and celebrate your faith. Nothing causes you to celebrate faith in your life more than grace. You know, you're either blind or you see. There's no halfway point. And I hope that you see how much God has blessed you, what he's doing in you, and how he changes you. Welcome that work in your own life. And be a very powerful part of the little things every day. As I sat in a room this last, I think it was on Tuesday morning, this particular meeting. I was sitting 40 feet from our prime minister. I know how he's viewed. I was praying for him. As we met many of the MPs, my heart would just go into, do they recognize what God is doing in them, through them, and what he could do. Are they aware of the opportunity that the pioneers have passed on? There are so many good men and women that serve. I want you to be one of those. Serve. Time to get on with it. It's just time. Delay no longer. Let him finish his work. Let him bring you through into the blessed life and the celebration of this great life. So review three questions. What have you felt like giving up on? Don't. You fight. You fight.
What do you need to finish? Pick it up. Those good things. Pick it up. Get on with it. And what has distracted you from God's best? Maybe this morning the alarm bell goes off and alertness comes back. There's far more to life than your list for tomorrow or today. There is God's activity. Be in it. We're going to have a commissioning prayer to close off the service. You may have been a believer for many years. You may be a new believer. But today is a bit of a wake up for you. You can see how it's really easy just to fall into the 24-hour cycles and forget the big activity of God in this world and in your life. And you want to get right back in. Well, that's up to you. It's as simple as that. Because he won't leave you the same when he begins to work in your life as that song just made very, very plain. And you are now destined to make a difference, to be a difference maker in the smallest of ways, sometimes in large ways, but more than likely in pretty small ways that all add up to a giant way, a life that has been well lived to the glory of God and one that you didn't miss a lot of days, just turn in cycles around you. You were a part of what he was doing. You're out there. You rub shoulders there. They're in your home. You tuck them in at night. They're people you work with. You stand beside. God is working in every one of them. All you're looking for is to be in on it. Be in on it then. As we make a commissioning prayer, I'm going to pray a prayer of commissioning you to what God has for you, to the call of God upon your life to make a difference in the smallest of ways that that enlarge up to big ways just simply because you're willing to stay in the fight and get back. Don't waste another day. And when you start doing this, I promise you, you will have such stories to tell as you receive the rewards one day. I was at the bedside of a gentleman within the last two weeks. One that I had received a call for and went up to see him in hospice care. He was on into his last hours. We stood in a circle with the family and prayed, Lord, wake him up out of this if he is not assured of where he is going. Give us some moment that we get a chance to share. Soon as we had said amen, within seconds following that, all of a sudden, one of the people, he's awake. Brent and I were there. I just went over and started to talk to him, tell him about Jesus, and then ask him if he wanted to to receive Christ and be prepared for his eternity. He more than willingly was nodding yes. He couldn't speak. We led him in a prayer to receive Christ. That was on a Wednesday evening. Friday afternoon of that week, he passed away. Why do I share that here? I'm so happy that he received Christ. I'm so happy that he is with the Lord. But how much more powerful could it have been if there had been a life of living in the grace of God and passing it on and sharing and bringing it. 
you have that opportunity. Fathers, we bow our heads before you. You know each and every one of us. You know the work you've called us to do. You know the nudges that you have brought. You know our condition before you. You know how unaware we may be. You recognize, Lord, right away that the, we might be totally asleep to what you are doing in this world, in, in and around, right in and around us. But Father, there are some here today, I know there is. I know there is, Lord whose hearts have just kind of woken up and they are ready to say it's time to get on with it. Lord, I don't know all that means in their lives specifically. I do know what that means though. Generally, and that is that they are now going to be looking for your activity in them and through them and around them and be willing participants fighting discouragement and instead living in a faith that really feeds into the world around. So Jesus, here's a prayer of commissioning for those whose hearts are making that decision today. A decision to say it's time to get on with it and I'm getting on with it. And if that's you today, you receive this prayer as I pray this over you. Father, I pray that right now the Holy Spirit would be upon them, that you would anoint them, yes, just like Jesus, to preach the gospel, to be that which has come to bind up the wounded, with those wounds be they mental, spiritual, even physical wounds. Father, I pray that they would be healers in this world and in their families. I commission them, Lord, to be the people that stop in their busy schedules because at the side of their road that day is somebody that needs their attention. Lord, I pray that you will free their tongues so that their tongues might be obedient and speak truly into situations with grace and truth that they might bring truth bearers. I commission them, Lord, to bring into their places of work and into their places of relationship a spirit of service and love and compassion. And I pray upon them, Lord, a deeper awareness of the grace that they must celebrate every day that they get to breathe. I commission them for your work in their lives and through their lives now, Lord, because their hearts are ready to move on. So, Father, you know their hearts, you know who they are and where they're standing right now. And I've just commissioned them to the work that you've called them to do with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I pray this upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.